Welcome to the latest episode of the Wolf Sports Show. We are coming off maybe the most entertaining weekend in NFL history. I said last week I thought the wild card round was kind of disappointing with just two close games out of the six. And I was hoping the divisional round would make up for that, and it more than did with all four games coming down to walk-off wins, three walk-off field goals, and then the Chiefs walk-off touchdown in the final game on Sunday evening. Before getting into the postseason talk, we'll touch briefly on the head coaching searches. I don't know why this year it's dragged on longer with nine openings. Well, first, actually, we should start with Sean Payton. Saints Super Bowl winning head coach is stepping away from coaching. It sounds like he's going to go into TV. There's a lot of moving parts, I guess, with rumors that Troy Aikman, who I think is the best analyst might go to Amazon for Thursday Night Football. I thought he'd be doing Fox 2 along with Amazon Thursday Night Football, but perhaps there's a chance he doesn't stay with Fox, in which case Sean Payton is rumored or expected to maybe step into his spot alongside Joe Buck. Payton and Drew Brees, of course, did a lot to make the Saints a winner. They won that Super Bowl against Peyton Manning and the Colts and getting the Saints turned around and into one of the league's better franchises was big for the area, for New Orleans. But, and I don't know if this is part of why he left, the Saints are now, appear to be in a tough spot cap-wise and they've had a very good defense, but it's aging. Both Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston have shown flashes, but no clear bona fide long-term franchise quarterback. Some argue it's the worst head coach opening available. I might agree with that. So it was a good time for Peyton to leave, I think, for him personally. And it sounds like he'll probably be back coaching at some point, though he is under contract with the Saints, I think, through 2024. So they would be able to get compensation if he returns to coaching next offseason or in a couple of offseasons for another team. We did have two hirings finally this morning, the first two. The first one was Nathaniel Hackett, Packers offense coordinator, is going to the Broncos. So instantly there has been connections with saying Aaron Rodgers might go to Denver. I've been thinking if Rodgers does keep playing and leaves Green Bay, it would be for the Broncos or the Steelers as the two most likely destinations. Colts might not be shocking either if they could bring in Devontae Adams as well. However, they have Carson Wentz under contract, the big contract, and the Broncos and the Steelers are seem like more easy paths for two teams he could go to and two of the best franchises in the league. If he does leave Green Bay, I think he'll stay if he keeps playing, but we'll see. And then the Bears hired Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus to their head coach spot. So Chicago, it makes sense for them to go with a defensive-minded coach. I think it's just a fit for them. And now we'll see who they get as the offense coordinator and what direction they go with Justin Fields, who showed flashes as a rookie. And the dominoes should keep falling. Again, it's been a delayed hiring cycle for whatever reason. I don't know why. 
Jaguars sound like they're close. They might hire former quarterback for them, Byron Lefwich, the offensive coordinator for the Bucs, who's worked with Tom Brady the past couple of years. Although Vic Fangio, former Broncos coach, who did a good job there without a star quarterback, he's also interviewing. And he was with Trent Baalke as Jim Harbaugh's defense coordinator when they were in San Francisco together. Ultimately, I think Baalke, I think it'll come down to Leftwich, who was the favorite, or Fangio. Because Baalke will, he has Chad Khan's ear, the Jaguars owner right now, it appears, as the current GM. And both those hires would allow him to retain control of personnel without question, I think. So I don't think that's wise for the Jags, but seems to the direction that's going. The Giants should be pretty quick to hire a coach. I think they hired GM Joe Shane from the Bills last week. So they should be close. Seems like Brian Dayball is an obvious fit there. And overall, the next one to two weeks, we should get most of the openings filled up. And I should also note that Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn is staying in Dallas. He had plenty of interest from teams with openings, head coach openings, but he informed them, according to NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, that he's staying in Dallas for 2022. And it makes sense. He has exciting pieces to work with on defense. He'll be a hot commodity next offseason, too. And I'm sure Jerry Jones convinced him a bit and probably gave him a great bump in pay, maybe the highest-paid coordinator in the league. With that out of the way, let's get to the divisional round. First was Titans-Bengals. Tennessee didn't start off well with the Ryan Tannehill interception on the first play. The Titans defense got plenty of pressure on Joe Burrow, nine sacks. Derrick Henry looked pretty good in his return from a broken foot, which forced him to miss the last nine games of the regular season. He scored a touchdown. Overall, Cincinnati did well on defense, forcing the three turnovers, the one to start the game, the one on a tip ball on a screen pass, and then the late one that basically gave him a good shot to get a field goal at the end of regulation, which they did. So the interceptions from Tannehill, they just hurt big time. When Henry has been on the field the past few years, Tannehill has been very good. But this has to leave a bad taste in the mouth of the Titans. And I wouldn't be shocked if they're seeing if they can upgrade at quarterback this offseason because they have the talent. Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, I think, still has some left in the tank despite a disappointing year in terms of injuries. The defense, as they showed, can get after the passer. And both lines on both sides of the ball are among the best in the league. So they have a bit of a Super Bowl window right now. They got the one seed in the AFC, despite not having Henry for over half the year. If they have any hesitation about Tannehill, they have to at least be considering the options. Although, again, Tannehill has played mostly very well the past few seasons. And for the Bengals, again, they're maybe as confident as it gets as among the teams in the postseason. Joe Burrow has a lot to do with that. And it was funny, the rookie kicker, Evan McPherson, before his game-winning field goal, which was not an easy kick at all, apparently he told his teammates, it looks like we're going to the AFC Championship game. So that was funny and shows how confident and carefree he is and 
that's the type of guy you want kicking at the end of games. They're not going to be intimidated by a tough environment at Arrowhead. Then you have the Saturday night game. The Niners upset the Packers. And in the NFC, the next day, the first game on Sunday, the Rams upset the Bucks. I think in both cases, as I was worried about last week, it would just not good matchups for Green Bay and Tampa Bay. So it turns out the Packers and the Bucks they got the one and two seeds in the NFC, but they ended up getting maybe their worst matchups in the second round of the playoffs. Just a tough break there for them. The Packers started hot offensively. It looked like they might roll. Then they just stalled for most of the game. Couldn't get anything really going offensively. Defense played well. Then they had some special teams lapses that essentially gave up 10 points. The block field goal at the end of the half and the block punt for a touchdown by the Niners. Many are just blaming the special team straight up. The offense scoring 10 points is just not enough, obviously. And you can't just pin it all on the special teams, in my opinion. After the game, Packers head coach Matt LaFleur with the post-game handshake with Kyle Shanahan, who are their friends. And they didn't have a great handshake the first game because I guess LaFleur was somewhat angry that the Niners wanted Aaron Rodgers at quarterback and try to trade for him in the offseason. But it was really classy by LaFleur to give a warm congratulations to his friend in what was a tough loss for him, second time he's lost to them in the postseason. And now it sounds like Aaron Rodgers is concerned the Packers might need to rebuild some. I honestly didn't realize how bad their cap situation is. I still think they'll figure things out if Rodgers wants to continue playing, which it sounds like he does, to keep him there. But we'll see how that goes as one of the big storylines this NFL offseason. And then the Bucks they fell behind to the Rams. My concerns came to light with the Rams' pass rush getting after Brady. They fell behind 27-3, battled back to make it 27-27, defense forced some turnovers, and Brady just put the offense on his back. It felt like the Bucks were going to win. A couple of blown coverages on the final drive by the Rams allowed them to kick the game-winning field goal. You've got to admire the fight the Bucks showed as the defending champs. Even when they were down, you didn't expect anything less from a team led by Brady. He's shown it too much. He, In the playoffs, his teams are not going to get blown out. They're not going to go down easy. And I think it definitely would have been a different game if Tampa Bay had Chris Godwin and maybe even Wirfs at right tackle. And you can also throw Antonio Brown in there. But credit to the Rams. They got it done. Sean McVay has done a really good job with the offense, getting guys open. And Stafford has avoided mistakes, and he's hitting the guys, has a good connection with Odell Beckham Jr. right now. All that said, I have to say the officiating was not good at all in that game. And it might have cost the Bucks the win in what was ultimately an extremely close game. We saw way too much of the officials in the first half especially. The second half wasn't good either. But in the first half... I don't know how they called taunting on Ndamukong Sue when I thought clearly, as he said and what he was upset about, that Stafford kicked him, basically, when Sue hit him. You could say it was a natural 
reaction uh, to me it looked like Stafford extended his left leg and was kicking him in an uh, area you don't want to be kicked in. And two was rightfully upset. I don't know how they call that taunting. All he did was like pretty much yell at Stafford, like, what are you doing? And as he was understandably upset at the situation. So instead of a kicking or whatever, unnecessary roughness penalty on Stafford, which would have brought the Rams back 15 yards. Instead, it was a 15-yard penalty on Sue. So a 30-yard swing right there. Uh, the Rams scored on the drive, a seven-point swing, you could say. I don't think that was right at all. And then Brady, Von Miller, basically, I'm not saying he did it intentionally or anything, but it was basically he missled his head into Brady's face, face mask, helmet, whatever. And it caused Brady to bleed from the mouth, which was further proof that it was a unnecessary hit. Happened right in front of the referee, and it was not called. Then Brady yelling at the ref about it, and it earned him a 15-round penalty instead, the first of his career, which says something. So in, again, a 30-yard swing right there. It felt wrong. I've said all season it felt like the Rams were getting calls in that Tuesday night Seahawks win for the Rams. A phantom holding call was maybe the difference in the game. So the Rams have been getting calls. I've said to look out for that, and that came into play last week. And when you're watching the playoffs, you don't want the officials to be front and center. You want the players to determine it. And I think we saw way too much of the officials in that Bucks loss. And truthfully, I think it might have cost them a second consecutive NFC Championship game appearance. And then finally, Bills, Chiefs, crazy game. Back and forth at the end with the Chiefs ultimately winning in overtime on a touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes to Travis Kelsey. I don't think you need me to recap it if you're listening to this. It was super entertaining. And people are a bit reactionary, calling it like the best game ever. It was one of the it was an instant classic, without a doubt. Calling it the best game ever, I think, is a bit of a stretch when you had just in the last decade the 20-3 to comeback by the Patriots and the Patriots-Seahawks Super Bowl with Malcolm Butler sealing it at the end. Uh, fourth quarter comeback by Brady and the Pats. I don't know how you top those given that they're Super Bowl games and, and they were just insane, insanely good games with spectacular endings. But yeah, definitely an instant classic. Um, I just think there might be some Recency bias and overreaction, calling it the best game in history. Josh Allen and the Bills twice took the lead late, including with 13 seconds to go. Gabriel Davis had four touchdown receptions, which set a postseason record. Allen played, really he couldn't have played any better this postseason in two games. I think it was 12 incompletions, nine touchdown passes, which is just insane. Didn't get to touch the ball in overtime. That was... I'm not sure I can think of a more heartbreaking loss than that for the Bills. And for the Chiefs, I've been worried most of the season about the offense. Uh, they're just clicking right now. They're in a groove. The defense stepping up during the regular season was big in keeping them afloat, helping them get the two seed and the home game for the matchup with Buffalo. And also now for the AFC title game with the Titans out. It was huge early in the game when 
Patrick Mahomes was running, running around doing what he had to do to keep the drives moving and making plays with his legs. And doing it against a top Bills defense shows that it's the same old cheese, basically. Although it's more of Mahomes being methodical, taking what the defense gives him and still putting up big numbers, even if it doesn't come with a bunch of huge plays down the field all the time. And Mahomes being able to scramble, then either find guys open downfield or run for first downs. It shows that the Bills need a speed rusher on the outside, I think, for sure, moving forward to maybe take another step. We'll see maybe Gregory Rousseau can develop into that, be the star guy on the outside for them off the edge. Overall, the Bills are right there. You can argue they were the best team in the league this season. Game easily could have gone different if the coin flip went a different way for overtime. Quickly on the overtime rules, which have been talked about a lot naturally after Allen and Buffalo didn't get the ball. We'll talk quickly about the overtime rules, my thoughts on it. But first, again, about as heartbreaking as it gets, the loss by the Bills. And I have to say, Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, they're great coaches. Built an outstanding Bills defense. I didn't understand the strategy at the end. I think Tony Romo calling the game was right. They should have maybe scoop kicked it to take time off the clock. But then after that, the first play to Hill, okay, I guess. They played off and they did a quick little screen type of thing to him to get closer. Then the next play, I didn't understand the coverage at all. Gave Kelsey a free release, and he easily just ran up the seam, basically. And it wasn't much of a challenge for the Chiefs to hit him and get in a range for Harrison Butker, one of the league's best kickers, to make the field goal, put it into overtime. So that was tough. They had the game with 13 seconds remaining after taking the lead. And I guess they'll be thinking about that for a while, I'm sure. And about the postseason overtime rules, I actually never disliked them that much. It's a team game, and defensive special teams matter. And for the Bills specifically, they should have never let the game get to overtime. But having a coin flip determined so much feels a bit arbitrary. After thinking about it for a while, the possibilities, I think the best solution would be a 15-minute overtime. You play the full 15-minute period. It's like an extra quarter, full extra quarter. Even if the team gets up 21 points, you keep playing the full 15 minutes and see what happens. So it almost guarantees at least one possession for each team. It's not a perfect solution. I know player safety would be an issue with that, playing a full 15 minutes. I think you just do it for postseason only, not in the regular season. Keep the, But I mean, the NFL added an extra game. As you know, if you've listened, I don't like the 17th game at all. I think they should have done 18 weeks, 16 games, two buys for each team. But NFL fans and teams, like the Bills, who aren't thrilled with not getting possession of the ball in overtime, I think would be much happier with better postseasons and overtime rules. And I think they all, everyone, would be happier with, if player safety is a concern, taking out a full game, getting a better overtime for the playoffs. You get rid of the uneven 17-odd game schedule and make everyone feel like it's fair 
as possible when it matters most in the playoffs. Over So overall, I don't hate the current OT rules like many people do, but I think playing another full 15-minute quarter would be a definite improvement. And I must admit I'm strongly pulling for the Bills to win a Super Bowl with Allen soon. They're just a likable group and really fun to watch. And again, it was a really tough break for them losing that game. The revisionist history that's going on with Josh Allen is just ridiculous. The playmaking quarterback is so good that even the harshest of haters cannot deny it, which is nice to see, especially because he's a great guy and a good ambassador for the game. Let's start with the fact that Allen was one of the most hated draft prospects in history. That must be stated because it tells a lot about the entire situation. But did these people even watch Allen at Wyoming or during his first two years with the Bills? The numbers, particularly as a rookie, though they were not awful for a first-year quarterback, making a jump from a smaller college to the NFL, might not have been amazing. But these critics were totally blinded by their biases and completely ignored the flashes Allen showed with what was arguably one of the worst supporting casts in the league. Allen's performance at Minnesota as a rookie was a sign of things to come, but it was ignored. Of course, Allen got better and showed the progression you want to see from a player. However, he was not like the worst quarterback in the league as many painted him to be. He needed to get the turnovers under control a bit and stop trying to do too much at times. And you could see a switch flipped in that regard of not trying to do too much. After the first Patriots game in 2019, he did exactly what you want to see. He learned from that. And from there, he just skyrocketed into superstardom. I feel very strongly that Allen was going to be an elite player regardless. But the upgraded supporting cast was another spark that helped Allen vault into an undeniable superstar. Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley being two of the biggest key additions. And it says a lot that a top receiver like Diggs, while mostly everyone in media and on Twitter insisted Buffalo's quarterback was terrible, wanted to play with Allen in the NFL's smallest market. NFL players knew Allen was a beast, but the know-it-alls did not. So now what we have is revisionist history that Allen made an unprecedented jump that no one could have seen coming. He was a terrible quarterback that somehow became perhaps the best player in the league. Wrong. Allen simply made these doubters look foolish, and they will not admit their mistake. So yeah, I just had to say that, and I don't think Allen and the Bills are going anywhere. And one more thing to touch on on the divisional round. I just certainly hope that wasn't Tom Brady's last game. He's given so much to NFL fans over the years in watching, you could say, the best athlete in history play. I and everyone that's been able to watch him have been fortunate to do so. He's a class act and a good example. The talk seems more real this year that he actually might retire finally. He said he wants to play to 45 in the past. Then he's indicated he wants to play past that. He certainly can. He had one of his best seasons. I think he should be the MVP. It looks like it's going to be Aaron Rodgers, who was also fantastic, but I think Brady was clearly the MVP this season. It seems like this came so quick. I hope it's just rumors. Brady is a private person, so I don't know where everyone got these sources from. 
but he didn't immediately say like, yeah, I'm going to be back. Ultimately, I think he will be back. There are some things that go against that though. If Byron Leftwich ends up getting a head coaching job, that wouldn't be ideal. He might not want a new offense coordinator, even though it'd be Bruce Arians calling the plays and the same exact offense. And then Chris Godwin is coming off the torn ACL. He's also a free agent, assuming he's not franchise tagged again. And again, I've mentioned it. You could see he doesn't have great chemistry, not to the level he did of with like Godwin and Antonio Brown with the guys that had to step up with them out. So he might want to see what the team's going to look like around him. He might need Godwin back to come back. I think Gronk will definitely come back if Brady comes back. He might, and I think this might be the case with Aaron Rodgers too, want another receiver added to the mix. Brady had Brown as a basically the third wide receiver, which was pretty unstoppable almost. He might want another talent, maybe not on Brown's level, but someone that can win one-on-one situations almost every single time on the offense. Brady said, I think it was on his Let's Go podcast with Jim Gray, how Giselle doesn't like see him get hit. And there have been rumors in the past that Giselle wants him to stop playing. So it's, I don't mean to speculate too much on Brady's future. He's going to ponder it privately. One thing I'm sure he knows this, once he's done, he's done. He loves playing football. I think in the end he will be back, and again, I hope he's back. But if not, it would be a massive loss for the game. And now to this Sunday, the conference championship games. The AFC is actually first, even though they have the big draw, I guess, in um, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Joe Burrow and the Bengals are also, they have plenty of star power, and Burrow himself is a marketable guy. But it's been known they're in the early window on Sunday at 3 o'clock. The Bengals fell behind to the Chiefs in the first matchup late in the regular season. It was at home for Cincinnati. I talked about that game and said I wasn't sure the Chiefs were back because they started hot and then the Bengals sort of shut them down a bit in the second half. So that was concerning. I don't see them getting shut down this week. Both teams are super confident. We need to keep an eye on Tyron Matthews' status. He's in the concussion protocol, missed most of last week after leaving early. I still think the Bengals need to get Joe Mixon and the run game going to the point where he's maybe rushing for 125, 150 yards. That would help this week. This might be the game to do it to control things a little bit and keep the Chiefs off the field. Jamar Chase for Cincinnati totally went off in the first matchup. Well over 200 yards, three touchdowns, 11 receptions. I'm not sure. Kansas City has an answer for him, especially given his chemistry with Burrow. But if they try to limit him, T. Higgins and others, Tyler Boyd, can step up big. So it's a seven-point spread. I anticipate the Bengals being able to hang around a bit, and I would not be shocked if they pull off the upset. Then in the NFC, Niners and Rams, San Francisco won both matchups during the regular season, including in Week 18, a 17-point comeback to get into the playoffs. And now they're one step away from their second Super Bowl appearance in three seasons. And not only that, the Niners have won six straight in the series overall. So they have their number, but on the flip side, the Rams are just due for a win. They're playing well, but they need to bounce back from... They didn't... 
they have certainly struggled against the Niners defense this season. Debo Samuel has been difficult to handle. You know, the Niners are going to run the ball. I thought the Bucks should have tried to run a bit more last week when they started hot with Leonard Fournette. The Niners aren't going to go away from the run at all, I wouldn't think, with Elijah Mitchell and Debo. You know, they're geared up for this. George Kittle called the last match of a body bag game. They're going to take that mindset into this Sunday. The key for the Rams, again, I think, is the pass rush. If they can get to Jimmy Garoppolo like they got to Brady last week, that'll be big. And on the other side, same thing for the Niners, looking to get to Stafford. McVay might use more um, quick passes and rollouts a bit more to hopefully evade the pass rush. We'll keep an eye on the potential home field advantage. For either team, we don't know. Like in Week 18, the Niners took over the stadium, their fans. The Rams have taken measures to hopefully avoid that this time around for a playoff game with the Super Bowl trip on the line. Still, it seems the Niners fans are going to be a force there, potentially. So that would be, that could turn things a bit. Overall, it should be a game that comes down to the wire, I think, again. Hopefully. Hopefully both games do. And we'll see if Jimmy Garoppolo can continue to be clutch, as he has been. I don't care if he doesn't put up numbers. There's a lot of talk that he's almost just carried by his teammates. The numbers speak for themselves in terms of wins and losses. I know it all doesn't come down the quarterback, and they don't deserve all the credit or all the blame for wins and losses. I'm not saying that. But if you can't understand that Garoppolo's teammates believe in him a ton, and that doesn't lift the entire roster, then you don't know much about sports, I guess. And people make it like Jimmy G's some scrub or something. I mean, just watch him play. He, Tom Brady, Josh Allen, they're up there. Mahomes, too. But with passes over the middle in breaking routes, it might not get any better than Garoppolo with a super quick release. He puts him right on the money for his guys to make plays and get key third down conversions. Just pinpoint passes, and I don't know. I guess people don't see that. That was big last week in the win. The issue with him is turnover plays. He sometimes puts the ball in danger. He'll need to avoid that this week. But, I mean, again, just watch. Watch his throws over the middle from late last week and try to say you're not impressed by that. You really can't. I don't know why Garoppolo gets hit. It is what it is. He'll look to get to his second Super Bowl as a starter this week. And we'll keep an eye on the officiating there in that game especially. The Chiefs also, I think, have gotten more calls. Chiefs and Rams clearly have gotten more calls than most teams, I think. I don't think there's a conspiracy. But it also happens to be that I think the NFL would prefer Chiefs and Rams to be the Super Bowl matchup. So we'll see if the home teams get calls in their favor this week. I thought the Rams were holding plenty on the edge on the Bucks pass rushers. Last week, it wasn't called much at all. Just another thing to think about. Overall, I think we get a Super Bowl rematch from two years ago. My picks are Chiefs and Niners to win this week. Again, the officials need to stay out of the way, but I think... The Niners have their number. They feel like a team of destiny almost on the NFC side. 
and the Chiefs, it would not shock me at all if the Bengals pull off the upset. But they're pretty heavy favorites for a reason and looking to get to a third straight Super Bowl. And I like the way Mahomes is playing, taking care of the ball and not trying to do too much. So one thing's there, a pretty long show for just two games. We'll see how it goes, but we will likely just have one more episode, skip next week, and we'll recap things ahead of a Super Bowl show in a couple of weeks. And also feel free to send comments or game predictions for the Super Bowl for the final show of the season. Send them to davidchapine at wolfsports.com, and we'll try to fit them in. So that'll do it. Enjoy Championship Sunday, and thank you for listening.